Praise the Lord. This is Dr. Ruth again. I just want to take this moment to thank all of you who have blessed us with a financial donation to help us produce these programs. And I want to thank all of you who have become Christ-centered partners with us. And for those of you who are considering becoming a partner, I want to thank you in advance uh, for just considering our ministry to be a part of this. So I just want to say, if you have not yet uh, blessed us with a financial donation, I just ask you to consider doing so by faith and just to obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit to bless us so we can produce more of these shows. It is our heart's desire, which is also God's desire to make this teaching available to many, many more people, but it costs money to do so. So we are trusting God that you will obey and bless us back with whatever amount the Lord puts in your heart. So again, we thank you in advance for your love gift donation into God's work so we can reach many, many more people. And may God bless you and keep you. And I pray in the name of Jesus that whatever you give back into this ministry, God will multiply that and bless you back abundantly, exceedingly until it overflows. In Jesus' name, amen. In uh, chapter 23, uh, chapter 23 is a very fascinating uh, chapter also chapter 24 because in chapters 23 and 24 we will learn how the Lord would speak through Balaam the Lord would offer his uh, oracles or utterances uh, through Balaam the Lord would use him as a prophet to speak uh, highly about his chosen people the Israelites and there is a lot we will learn here so let's take a look at this uh Chapter 23, here's what is the gist of this chapter. In this chapter, we will learn about the uh, first three messages the Lord would speak through Balaam to remind uh, Balak, who is the king of the Moabites, about his blessings towards the Israelites. Let's take a look at this. Numbers 23, take a look at uh, verse 1. Balaam said, build me seven altars here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. Essentially, uh, Balaam is preparing to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Again, amazing how even though Balaam was not the true uh, prophet, uh, spiritually, he was led by the Lord to offer the sacrifices, reminding us of what the Lord had already laid down through Moses, all the sacrificial system uh, that uh, only when these sacrifices are offered would he have communication with the people because he is holy. And I had gone through uh, a lot of that in the book of uh, Leviticus. So we see Balaam, or Balaam, a counterfeit <laughs> prophet uh, who seemed to be walking on God's side, at least for now, but we would learn that that is not the case. We see him offering a sacrifice to the Lord so that he would hear God speak to him what the Lord wants to um, uh, relate to the Moabites and the Midianites. Okay. And then in verse 3, Balaam uh, said to the king, King Balak, 
stay here beside your offering while I go aside. Besides, the Lord will come to meet with me. Uh, whatever he reveals to me, I will tell you. This is after the sacrifice had been offered. We see Balaam here not quite comp comprehending that the Lord was on the side of the Israelites. He wasn't quite convinced. He is still doubtful. Okay, he is like, whatever he, may, he reveals to me, okay, and apparently the Moabites and the Midianites, they did not perceive the depth of God's love for the Israelites. They didn't quite get it yet. They, they, they kept thinking that the Lord would place a curse on the Israelites. They kept thinking that the Lord would speak through Balaam and to bring a curse upon the Israelites who were en route to the promised land. The Moabites and the Midianites, they didn't quite understand the true living God, that he is faithful, he would not change his mind. When he says something, he means something, but they will find out very soon here. Verse 4, God met with Balaam, and uh, Balaam uh, relayed to the Lord that he had prepared uh, altars for the sacrifice. We can read that out of verse 4. Verse 5, the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Go back to Balak and give him this word. Okay, so we see here how the Lord is going to speak through Balaam. Verse 6, so he went back to him and found him standing beside his offering. So, wow, this is powerful. The Lord would just speak, speak through Balaam's mouth so he could utter blessings instead of a curse. We come to verse 7. Then Balaam spoke this message. Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. So apparently he is just relaying how he was summoned to come and place a curse on the Israelites. Take a look at uh, verse 8. Now, remember, this is the Lord speaking through the mouth of Balaam. This is powerful. Okay. Uh, how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? Powerful. We see God speaking through Balaam to the pagan nations, the Moabites and the Midianites, that how can I bring a curse upon the people that have been blessed, the people who have been highly favored? Okay, again, reminding us, just like I said, Romans 11, 29, the gifts and callings and blessings of God are irrevocable. So we see the Lord reiterating here that I have already blessed them. They cannot be cursed. My word stands. My word is irrevocable. So that is what we see happening here. And then the rest of the oracle uh, that the Lord spoke through Balaam. You can read that. Uh, the Lord just um, went on to remind the uh, uh, king uh, Balak that the Israelites uh, are a holy, righteous people. You can see that in verse 10, that they are numerous uh, 
They are countless and they've been blessed. Again, this is just reminding us of the blessings that the Lord promised Abraham that his descendants would be uh, numerous, countless. We see the Lord reiterating that here. You can read uh, that on your own. And um, verse 11, Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies, but you have done nothing but bless them. Again, King Balak had no spiritual perception that this was God speaking. This was God's word. Verse 12, he answered, Must I not speak what the Lord put in my mouth? We see Balaam telling King Balak that, hey, this is what the Lord is saying. But King Balak could not get it. We come to uh, Balaam's second message. Uh, that is beginning verse 13 all the way to um, verse 26. Let's just highlight uh, a few verses here. We see in verse 13, uh, Balak convincing Balaam, taking him in a different location so he could uh, get a better view of the Israelites and <laughs> to pronounce a curse on them. Uh, uh, but then as we come to verse 15, uh, Balaam is saying that he wants to go seek advice from the Lord. In verse 16, the Lord met with Balaam again and put another word in his mouth. We can look at that message beginning in verse 18. Then he spoke this message, Arise, Balak, and listen, hear me, son of Zippor. So this is the Lord speaking to uh, King Balak through the mouth of Balaam. God is not a man that he should lie. This is verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak? And then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless, and he has blessed, and I cannot change it. That was Balaam speaking in verse 20. But take a look at verse 19. Powerful. This is a very popular scripture. I will read this again. This is uh, Numbers 23, verse 19, a popular scripture. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Powerful. So the Lord is speaking through the mouth of Balaam to tell King Balak that I am not going to change my mind. I am faithful. I am consistent. I have already blessed the Israelites. I will not take it back. I would not recant, much like God is telling us today. Okay, we are told, I believe it's in 2 Corinthians 1.20, that all of God's promises, all of his blessings through Christ Jesus are yes and amen. Countless of blessings. I heard one Bible a scholar said, over 4,000 blessings. In the Bible, from God to us, these blessings are irrevocable, such as blessings of enjoying the peace of God, the joy of the Lord, okay, blessings of overcoming temptations in our lives, blessings of overcoming 
the lies and deceit of the enemy, prosperity in every area in our lives, spiritually, financially, in every relationship, on and on. These are all promises and blessings that we have available to us in the New Testament and throughout the entire Bible. But it is up to us to walk by faith, walk in obedience, and allow God's blessings to chase us. Okay? God is not going to take those blessings back. He has already given them to us through Christ. That's what we are learning here. He's not going to change his mind. Even when we unfortunately disobey God and sin, the blessings are still there. We just won't inherit them because of sin and disobedience. Okay? So God is not a man that he would change his mind. And then we saw uh, Balaam's response in verse 20. Okay, we re I read that already. We look at verse 21. No misfortune is seen in Jacob. We see the Lord reiterating that Israel is blameless. Isn't this something? Even though the Israelites had disobeyed God, they had sinned against God countless times, we still see God's faithfulness and God's love for his chosen people here. Just like us today, he still loves us. He just expressed compassion and he is saddened when we sinned, when we disobey, when we go astray and use our free will against him. He still loves us. That's what we see happening here. He still loved the Israelites. He still loves them today. And towards the end of verse 21 there, we see the first time that the Lord is officially called the king, even though that has been implied throughout the previous um, uh, books of the Old Testament. But here we see uh, the Lord your God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. I just want to highlight, highlight that, that many Bible scholars say that this is a first time the title king is officially used uh, in association with the Lord. Okay, so um, the rest of those uh, verses, uh, verses 22 all the way to 26, just continues to uh, talk about the blessings of the Israelites, how the Lord brought them out of Egypt. They are strong. Okay, look at verse 22. Uh, God, God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. That is talking about the presence of God in their midst. Uh, verse 23, there is no divination against Jacob, meaning that they're not going to practice divination, witchcraft, sorcery. So uh, King Balak is wasting his time. That is not going to happen. No evil omens against Israelites would... Uh, Take effect. This is powerful. Let me read verse 23 again. There is no divination against Jacob, no evil omens against Israel. It will now be said of, of Jacob and of Israel, see what God has done. This is powerful because what the Lord is saying is that no divination, no evil spell against the Israelites will take root. My goodness. This is so powerful. I had mentioned earlier, and let me just talk about this again. As Christians, as New Testament believers, we are indwelled and, and possessed. We are God's property. God owns us. We are indwelled and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Okay? We can never, never be 
possessed by the devil because we are possessed by the Holy Spirit. So a true believer who is walking with the Lord, any demonic spells can never take root in his or her life because God possessed them. But like I have explained earlier, a Christian who is walking in disobedience, who is who is practicing sin, can be oppressed or suppressed by the devil or by the enemy. Okay? So what does spiritual oppression or suppression look like? Fear. Worry. Okay? Lack of peace. Lack of joy, lack of strength to overcome in your life because your sin and disobedience opens the door for the enemy, Satan, to come into your life to kill, steal, and destroy, according to Jesus in John 10, 10. So when a true, genuine believer is not walking in obedience, when a believer is practicing sin, disobeying God, God's protection in that believer's life is lifted, is removed. So you allow your enemy Satan to come into your life and then Satan will cause all kinds of oppression and suppression, all the ungodly emotions of fear, worry, anxiety, restlessness, no energy. Those, those are all forms of, of demonic oppression or suppression because you allowed the enemy to come into your life through disobedience and sin. But you can stop all of that by simply repenting, okay, restoring fellowship with God through Christ, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to strengthen you, and you obey God, and you stop practicing sin. So we see the Lord saying here that his children, his chosen children cannot be possessed by evil spells nor curses through divination from the enemy. And again, like I have said before, I will just remind you, uh, like we are told in Galatians 3, 13, that Jesus has delivered us from all generational curses. So whatever your family practices were before you came to Christ, that is not your portion anymore because Jesus has delivered you from all of that. You just have to stand up in the name of the Lord and, and, and overcome, okay, by trusting the Lord, focusing on, on the Lord, allowing the Holy Spirit to fight your battles for you so you can overcome uh, your past because you have already been delivered by the blood of Jesus. Okay, so uh, I want to just highlight the power right there of uh, God saying that his children cannot be uh, possessed or demonic spells cannot take root in their lives. I hope you receive that in Jesus' name. So you can read the rest of those uh, verses there. Uh, verse 25 is interesting because now uh, Balak, the king of the Moabites is disgusted with Balaam and he is like, okay, don't even say a word. <laughs> Neither curse them or bless them. Be quiet. All right. And in verse 26, Balaam responded, did I not tell you I must do whatever the Lord says? 
Okay, so that is interesting how uh, King uh, Balak still didn't get it. He is still not getting it that this is the, the Lord speaking, even though the Lord is, is telling him that your divination is not going to work here, he is not getting it. Oh my goodness, isn't that something? Some people are so spiritually dull. It's, it's, uh, God can't even get through. <laughs> Whoa. Ah, glory to God, I tell you. Okay, let's move on here. Let's take a look at the last message, the third rather, but last in this chapter, that the Lord would utter through Balaam. Uh, that is uh, verses 27 all the way to verse 30, which will bring us to the end of that uh, chapter there. And just like I was saying, Balak still isn't getting it. So he is, <laughs> he is still insisting that Balaam should um, uh, follow him. He will uh, take him uh, to a different uh, location where he would place a curse on the Israelites. Wow. He is still not getting it that the Lord would not allow that. He is still not getting it that the Israelites are God's chosen people, even though God had already altered Two prior messages, King Balak is not getting it. We come to verse uh, 29. Balaam said, build me seven altars. Again, the same thing we're going to see. Balaam uh, offering sacrifice to the Lord again so he can facilitate communication with the Lord for the next uh, message. Uh, verse 30, uh, Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and ram. We're going to go right into verse, uh, sorry, we are going to go right into chapter 24 because it's just a continuation. If you remember, I had mentioned earlier that to the Old Testament people, uh, each book was just one book with no chapter or verse division. But human beings put that in there somewhere around the 16th century. So here we see uh, how... Uh, chapter 24 is just running right after chapter 23 of the book of Numbers here. So let's just get into chapter 24 right away. Now, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not resort to divination as at other times, but turned his face towards the wilderness. Let's pause here. Powerful. So finally, Balaam is getting this. Isn't this something? That it, it had appeared throughout that Balaam was favoring God, that he was working for the Lord. This explains why God had to put the message in his mouth for him to speak it. Because Balaam was not 100% committed to the Lord. Again, we see how God displayed his sovereignty here. Wow! Again, expressing his love for his chosen people, that God had to supernaturally speak through the mouth of, of Balaam to alter these this blessings to the Israelites so the king of the Moabites could hear it. Yet the king of the Moabites was still not getting it because he was spiritually dull and dense. But finally, Balaam, it appears as if he is finally getting it. That no matter how I offer these sacrifices, no matter how I go to the Lord, no matter what I do, the Lord is not going to curse these people. That God means business. So we see here how he would no longer resort to divination. Because the Lord had already said that no demonic spell would take root 
among the Israelites. And finally, Balaam is beginning to get it. Okay, so now Balaam had the revelation. He had the rema. The, the, the word of God is has taken root in his soul. He finally got it that God is real. This will not happen. Okay, so now we see uh, Balaam turning, turning his face towards the wilderness uh, uh, to take a look at the Israelites who were encamped by their various tribes. The Spirit of God came on him and he spoke his message. This is powerful. Okay, this is out in verse 2. So now we see how he is, he is imparted by the Holy Spirit. Okay, God is not just speaking through his mouth now. We see the Holy Spirit coming over Balaam. And remember, during the Old Testament era, Holy Spirit did not indwell these people. Holy Spirit would fill them for a, for a specific purpose. And then Holy Spirit... Spirit would depart from them. So we see here how the Holy Spirit now uh, filled uh, Balaam, and Balaam, being uh, filled with the Spirit of God, would alter his uh, uh, fourth message or oracle. Now he is going to prophesy because he is filled with the Holy Spirit. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Boa, the prophecy of one whose I see clearly. See, now he is affirming what I had said earlier, that now he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He has come to a true revelation that God is for the Israelites. The living God is real. He would not resort to divination. So now we see Balaam saying that he is going to prophesy here. Wow, powerful. Verse uh, 4, the prophecy of one whose ears, the words of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob. Your dwelling place is Israel. He is now blessing, pronouncing a blessing and a message of exhortation, a message of affirmation, a message of God's love to the Israelites so that King Balak can get it. Okay, so you, that's what all of those verses are saying. Let's come to, um, uh, towards the end of verse uh, 7. Their king will be greater than Agar. Their kingdom will be exalted. So Agar here is a title for the king of the Amorites. So we see Balaam prophesying that the Israelites would be stronger uh, than the king of Amorites. Remember, back then the Amorites, they ruled the land, they had strong and powerful kings. So we see Balaam prophesying that uh, the Israelites would be stronger and greater and be, and their kingdom exalted above and beyond the uh, kingdom of the Amorites. And the rest of those verses just went on to talk about how they are strong, okay, and um, how God is for them. Uh, uh, you can read those verses and then come towards the end of verse 9. May those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. This is a powerful prophecy from the Lord and it is still in operation. Okay, all of the nations of the world that have um, attempted to place a curse on the Israelites were cursed themselves and uh, bad luck followed them. 
and all of the nations throughout history that have uh, favored or that have uh, come into a working relationship with the nation of Israel have been blessed and prosperous. And that is still happening today, uh, which is why some Bible scholars even say that uh, the U.S. has had a good relations with uh, the nation of Israel for many years, which is one of the reasons why the U.S. has been prosperous and which is why some of the leaders of the uh, U.S., I'm not going to get into politics, are, are, are continuing to fight for good relations between the U.S., and the nation of Israel, because this prophecy is still in operation, okay? If uh, uh, the U.S. or any other nation turns their back against uh, the nation of Israel, God will not favor them. And if, if the U.S. or any other nation uh, has a good working relationship with the nation of Israel, God would also favor that nation. So this, this prophecy is still in operation and it will be in operation until the second coming of Jesus Christ because this is the word of God. Without getting into much politics, I just want to highlight that. So when some of you are watching the news, you see a lot of talks about uh, the nation of Israel and the U.S. trying to make reconciliation because you have leaders who are godly leaders who, who are truly thinking about this prophecy and they want the U.S. to prosper to the extent that they have a good working relationship with the nation of Israel. Isn't that something? The prophecies of God will always come to pass. Okay, I wanted to highlight that. So when you come to verse um, 10, uh, Balak's anger burned against Balaam. Now we see uh, Balak, the king of Moabite, he still hasn't gotten it. Now he is angry at Balaam and he hit him. Okay, he said, this is uh, uh, verse 10. I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you have blessed them these three times. Look at verse 11. Now leave at once and go home. I said, I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. This is so manipulative. I just wanted to highlight that. Do you see what's happening here? We see King Balak telling Balaam that, because you have refused to do what I ask you to do, you would not be rewarded by the Lord. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. Just like some people today, they want you to come along with them to go deceive others, to manipulate others in maybe a business dealing or whatever it might be. And then if you refuse, they're going to try to make you feel guilty by telling you, well, because you didn't come with me, God is not going to bless you. Well, that is not true. God will never, never bless trickery, deceit, manipulation. Okay, that is what we see here where King Balak is telling Balaam, God is not going to reward you because you did not obey me. That was a lie. Mm-hmm. And then verse 12, Balaam just went to uh, reiterate that he had warned them that he would only say what the Lord had asked him to say. And we come to verse 14. Now I am going back to my people, but come, let me warn you of what these people will do to your people in days to come. This is powerful. So uh, uh, Balaam now um, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit 
uh, prophesying, is telling King uh, Balak that that's fine. I will go to my country, but you come. Let me tell you. Let me prophesy to you. Let me warn you. Let me tell you in advance what would happen or what the Israelites would do to uh, many other nations because God is with them. So that is what is about to happen here. So uh, the fourth message, the fifth message, and the sixth and seventh message that we are about to go through briefly is the prophecy that Balaam would prophesy to King uh, Balak, pre-warning him about uh, what the Israelites will do to the other nation uh, moving forward. And these prophecies have all come to pass. So let me just give you a heads up there. So we come to verse 15. Uh, Balaam is still just saying that this is his prophecy. You come to verse 17. Look at that. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. You know, this is referring to Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah. Isn't this amazing how God would speak through a counterfeit prophet to tell us that the Messiah will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. Okay, so I just wanted to highlight that to you, that this was a prophecy about Christ Jesus himself as the Messiah to come. Uh, verse 18, uh, uh, Balaam is telling King Balak that the Israelites would defeat the Edmonites. We come to verse 20, that the Israelites would defeat the uh, Amalekites. We come to verse 21, that is the sixth message uh, that the Lord allowed Balaam to prophesy that the uh, Kenites, who are also the Midianites, would also be defeated by the Israelites. We come to the seventh message, uh, beginning in verse 23. Look at verse 24. Uh, it's saying that the Assyrians, th those are the ones referred to as the usher, the Assyrians who would be defeated. So these are all prophecies that have truly come to pass during the Old Testament era just highlighting how it was truly the Lord speaking through Balaam to pre-warn uh, King uh, Balak. That brings us to the end of chapter 24. That uh, brings us to chapter 25 in the book of Numbers. What is the gist of this chapter? In this chapter, we will learn how the uh, Israelite men fell into sexual immorality and idolatry, and we would learn about the anger of the Lord towards this sin and gross disobedience against his laws. So let's take a closer look at a few verses here. Uh, Numbers 25 verse 1. While Israel was staying in uh, Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with, with Moabite women. Verse 2 who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. 
verse 3. So Israel yoked themselves to the bale of poor and the Lord's anger burned against them. Here is what's happening. Apparently, these Moabite women were very uh, sexually inclined and uh, appealing. And they were professionals at seducing men. And we will later learn in this book of Numbers, in, in Numbers chapter 31, that Balaam, walking in conjunction with the leaders of the Moabites, uh, kind of coerced or arranged for these women to seduce this Israelite man to fall into this sin. So you see how uh, Balaam was not able to walk with the Moabite leaders to defeat the Israelites physically or to place a curse on them. But we are told here how the, the Israelites' man weakness, okay, for, for idolatry, we would learn how the enemy would use their weakness to penetrate into their lives and they will fall into this lust and sin against the Lord. Much like today, when we have weak areas or blind spots in our lives, lust, greed, jealousy, if we leave these emotions unchecked, the enemy will use that as a way to get into our life to wreak havoc, okay? So when we are struggling in the flesh, whether it be lost uh, with money, sex, jealousy, greed, whatever it is, we have to surrender that thing to the Lord, seek godly counsel so we can be delivered from that. Otherwise, the enemy will use our own weaknesses to attack us and, 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 and just lead us into sin and we would be defeated. So that is what is happening here, how these women enticed these Israelite men and they did not only fell into sexual immorality by having sex with them, they fell into idolatry, worshipping their gods, vehemently disobeying God's law that the Lord had already told them that they should not they should not worship any other God. Okay, they should they should stay away from idolatry. If you remember this teaching, all and all, all along the Lord had been telling them, flee from sexual immorality, free from idols. But we see that happening, and these people had not even gotten into the promised land. They were en route, but they are coming in contact with enemies like the Lord had been warning them. Remember, the Lord had prepared them at the foot of Mount Sinai for 11 months, telling them not to do this, not to do this, because the Lord knew that they're going to run into various nations on their way to the promised land that would entice them to fall into this kind of sin. And here we see these people falling into this sin. Wow. I mean, verse uh, 3 is powerful. So Israel yoked themselves. That word that yoked is like a, they become one. It's like becoming one with somebody. And we are told in 2 Corinthians uh, 6, 14, that we should not, we, referring to us true believers, we should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Okay, even though the Apostle Paul wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was referring to 
how the uh, Corinthian, uh, the, the Christians at the church in Corinth should not yoke, come together with unbelievers and practice their, their uh, demonic uh, practices. But that is a classic example. Uh, many Bible teachers, including myself, have used this 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to teach people the principle of marriage. Okay, do not be yoked, okay, with unbelievers. Uh, and going back to 2 Corinthians 6, 14, the apostle Paul went on to say, what has light, referring to the ch children of God, got to do with darkness, referring to the children possessed by the devil. So you who lives in the light, i.e. You, you are a child of God, you belong to the kingdom of God, you have no business yoking or getting married or having extensive fellowship with an unbeliever who still is in the dark. We are supposed to be the light and the salt of the world, okay, which means that we should let our godly lifestyle shine so that the unbelievers can see. Yes, we should still go to the unbelievers to proclaim the gospel our lifestyles should reflect God's goodness, God's truth. But we are not to yoke, get married to unbelievers. We are not to spend every moment of our day with unbelievers. Unbelievers are not supposed to be our best friends because of their, their darkness. They would easily prevent you from walking in the truths found in God's word if you are not strong. So we see that principle here in operation. This Israelite became yoked, joined together with unbelievers. And as a result, they started worshiping their gods, idols, which they had been advised by the Lord not to do. Just like God is telling us today, we should be careful how much time we spend with those who don't love the Lord. We should be careful how much time we spend fellowshipping with unbelievers. Least their ungodly lifestyle may influence our godly manners. On the other hand, our godly manners should influence the unbelievers. Okay, not the other way around. So in verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of these people Kill them and expose them in broad daylight. I like that. So that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So we see God very angry, righteous anger, rightfully so, about this willful transgression against his laws. So the Lord is like, kill them. Again, in the Old Testament, that's how God dealt with a lot of sin. Just kill the people. Because like I had said earlier, the Holy Spirit could not indwell these people. These people could not change. A lot of them could not change by the power of the Holy Spirit because they were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ had not come. So God had a different way of dealing with sin back then. Most of the time, God who knew their hearts, knew that they weren't going to repent no matter what. So God just brought upon a final judgment on them, which was death. Okay, remember, the wages of sin is what? Death. So we see that in operation here. Because these people would not change and God in his foreknowledge knew their hearts. So God said, kill them. But of course, in the 
in this new covenant, like I have been saying all along, God is not going to strike you dead. You would kill yourself because you would open the door for your enemy, Satan, to kill you. I have said a lot about that, so I better move on. So in verse uh, 5, uh, Moses said to the Israel judges, each of you must put to death those of your people who have yoked themselves to the bale of Paul. So Moses just went on to carry out the instructions. Verse 6 is interesting. In spite of this obvious scene, we are told how an Israelite man brought into the camp a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and in front of the whole assembly. Some people just don't get it. You are going to practice your sin right in front of your pastor. Wow. Right? You're going to display your sin right in front of everybody. That is what we see here. This is like you telling God, I don't care about your laws. I don't care about everything you've been teaching me. I'm going to do this anyway. That is what we see happening here in verse 6. Some of you may laugh, but this is still happening today. Okay? There are couples who are practicing obvious sins such as homosexuality or lesbianism. They come to, the, to church with, with, their, with their spouses and they flaunt it in front of everybody. Again, I am not saying that the homosexuals or the lesbians should not go to church. Of course, they have to go to church. At least they are trying to go to church because hopefully when they go there, they would be open to hearing the word of God, and hopefully they would be open to allow the Holy Spirit to convict them so they can change. But I am talking about some homosexuals, some lesbians who have just made up their mind that the decrees of God about homosexuality does not pertain to them. And then they're going to go to church and flaunt their, their sexual immorality in front of everybody, such as kissing in church and, and doing all that stuff in church, and they would not repent. These things happen today. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. But again, God is not going to strike them dead. They're going to just, they are suffering. Okay, people who do that, if what I just said pertains to you, you are suffering and you know that. You don't have the peace of God. You don't have his joy. You are dealing with a lot of shame, anxiety, and you're trying to display your sexual rights in a way to compensate, but you know in your heart that is not from the Lord. You know in your heart you are sinning against the Lord and you don't have true peace. You would be wise to repent. Okay, otherwise your enemy, Satan, won't leave you alone. He would continue, continue to torture you with restlessness, fear, worry, anxieties, and you may die before your time and God would allow it. Because you are disobeying him. So if you are practicing this kind of sin, repent. Okay? So going back to verse 6, this man who was displaying his sin in front of the congregation and in front of his pastor, Moses, he was about to be killed. And we are told how the grandson of Aaron, who is the son of Eliza the priest, took a sword and killed him and the woman, okay? And he avenged the wrath of God and God had already unleashed a plague to come upon the people of Israel. But when the uh, grandson of Aaron 
and the son of Elijah, his name is Athenehas, when he avenged on behalf of the Lord by killing this man and his Midianite woman in front of everybody, the plague stopped. And we are told in verse 9 that already 24,000 people had already been killed. Judgment of God. Final judgment of God. Highlighting his hatred for sin. Okay? And really, this is not an excuse for some of you to go uh, kill people because they disobey God's law. God does not need your help to do things like that. As Christians, we are supposed to express a holy and a righteous anger towards ungodliness. We are supposed to approach people in love and, and teach people the, the decrees of God in love. We are not supposed to resort to violence. Okay? So whenever we are feeling angry to the point where we want to attack somebody physically, we should stop. That is never from God. It's a God of peace. Okay? So... Uh, you should also evaluate, why am I so angry? Now, is your anger due to selfish, carnal motives? Then you might as well just forget it because that is not of God. But if upon an honest evaluation, you can discern that your anger is towards ungodliness, you can really talk to people in love and, and encourage them to change and, and, and uh, just pray for them and have have them accept the Holy Spirit to help them change because all true change can only come from God. And remember, we are told out of the book of Ephesians that no matter how angry we get, we should not let our anger carry on until nighttime, until we go to bed because we don't want to give uh, room for the enemy to attack us in our anger. So we can be angry, but we should not sin. Okay? And uh, God is the avenger. God is the one to avenge all wrongs. We should not go and be hurting people because we are godly Christians. No, 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 no. That is not of God. Let God do his avenging. You speak God's truth in love and you allow the Holy Spirit to convict people and to change people. That is not your job. Okay. So now the rest of these verses, the Lord just went on to tell Moses that... Um, the son of Elizai, uh, Phinehas, if I'm saying his name correctly, has been zealous for him and that he is proud of him and he would uh, make his uh, everlasting covenant of peace with him because he has avenged on his behalf. And as a result, he would have a lasting covenant of priesthood with him, God, you can read those verses on your own. Uh, so God just went ahead and affirmed that Aaron's grandson or the son of the priest Elijah, whose name was uh, Phinehas, had carried out a righteous judgment correctly as unto the Lord, and he was pleased with that. Again, but like I said, as New Testament believers, we don't do that. We allow God to walk in people's hearts. We just speak the truth Gently, we correct people gently in love. Okay, so uh, verses 14 all the way to the end of that chapter, which will be verse uh, 18. Just uh, went on to uh, talk about, uh, offer details about the Midianite woman who was killed in that act of disobedience. So you can read those uh, verses 
on your own. Come to verse 17. The Lord is saying to Moses, he should treat the Midianites as enemies and to kill them. Uh, obviously because they enticed the Israelite men to fall into idolatry and sexual immorality. But again, like I have been explaining, uh, God had to deal with sin differently in the Old Testament time. But as, but as New Testament believers, uh, we are not to go kill people who sin against the laws of God. God is the avenger and Jesus uh, has taught us in the Gospels that we should love our enemies, we should pray for our enemies, we should offer our enemies food and water. So this verse 17 here, that the Lord was telling Moses to treat the Midianites as enemies and kill them, uh, that prophecy uh, took place because God was dealing with a sin differently in the Old Testament. We are not to go kill people, okay? Uh, we are to love them and uh, just... Uh, Allow God to walk in their lives so change can come about. It's a gospel of peace, not a gospel of war. We serve a God of peace. So that brings us to the end of chapter 25. So what are the major principles we have learned from these powerful chapters in the book of Numbers? I have gone over all of this. Uh, so what are the major principles and applications we have learned from uh, Numbers chapters 22 through 25? I have already explained this, so I'm going to just uh, highlight this. We learned about God's sovereignty, okay? God could use whatever means necessary to accomplish his uh, ultimate divine will or purpose. And we saw that in operation as God spoke through Balaam's donkey. And even as God spoke through uh, counterfeit uh, uh, Balaam, fake prophet, God spoke through him to utter his utterances. So we saw God's sovereignty over his creation there. Principle number two, we, we learned God's faithfulness. Okay. In spite of the sins of the Israelites, we saw how God uh, remained faithful to his end of the bargain. Essentially, God would not pronounce a curse on them in spite of their willful rejection of him. God told us that he is not a man that he can change. That is God's faithfulness there. We learned about the love of God for his chosen people. He expressed his love okay, for them and um, God is love. Also, we learned about God's protective care for his chosen people. The Israelites, how God uh, would prevent, put uh, roadblocks uh, in their path uh, to prevent anyone from bringing a curse onto them. So what is the major application with regards to us today? It is obvious. God is sovereign over our lives. We belong to the kingdom of light. We are children of God. We have been adopted into his kingdom and he has sent his spirit into our hearts crying Abba Father. That is out of the book of Galatians. So at the end of the day, God's ultimate overall sovereign will for our lives will come to pass, such as we will go to heaven upon our death, such as we can never be possessed by demons because the Holy Spirit possesses us, okay? 
such as at the end of the day, we will be conformed to the image of Christ. That, that is out of Galatians. No, I'm sorry. Uh, that is out of uh, Romans uh, chapter 8. So God's overall will for our lives will come to pass, okay? However, God's best specific will for our individual lives may not come to pass if we don't obey him. What, what, what do I mean by that? For example, God may be calling you to be a minister. That would be his specific will for your vocation. You may reject that calling and God would choose somebody else. So in that regard, God's specific will for your life may not come to pass because you disobey him. Okay, God may want you, God may put a specific husband or a specific wife in your path. You may reject that and choose somebody else. God may call you to go to a specific country for missionary or go to a specific church to uh, be a member there. God may call you into a, into a specific vocation. You may deny that because you choose your own uh, interests. God's specific will for you in that area may not come to pass. So we have a role to play in God's specific will in our lives because he has given us a free will. We can choose to disobey God and his perfect will in our life will not come to pass. Such as you may go and marry an unbeliever. That is not God's best will for you. So we have a role to play in this matter here. But God's sovereignty in regards to his sovereign overall will for your life as a believer or as the body of Christ will come to pass one way or the other, such as you will have a glorified body, okay? You would be conformed to the image of Christ. If you don't obey God in this life, when you die and go to heaven, God will give you that glorified body just like the body of Jesus Christ. That is what I'm talking about. Because so many people get confused between God's sovereign will and, and God's uh, specific will in their life. They think that God can just uh, toss them left and right like a wimp. No, God has given you a free will. If you disobey him, his will for your life, your, your, uh, with, with regards to all the things I've talked about, may not come to pass. But his sovereign overall will will come to pass because you, you can die. And go to heaven because you have accepted Jesus Christ, but you will just miss the best plan that God has for you in this life if you disobey him. You get the point, okay? And we also see here God's hatred for sin. And I had talked about already that God is not going to strike you dead, but you would open the room for your enemy to come into your life to kill, steal, and destroy. That is what Jesus teaches us out of the gospel of John Chapter 10, verse 10. Just going to show you that you can use your individual uh, free will against the Lord and you, you can prevent his perfect will in your life from coming to pass. That, that, that can happen, which I had just explained. So another application here, which I had already explained, I'm going to just highlight that, is really to truly evaluate when things are not going well in your life, when your plans are not succeeding, okay, when you don't see the vision coming to pass, you need to pause and evaluate why there is conflict in your life. Is it the Lord allowing those conflicts to prevent you from taking the wrong path, just like he did with Balaam? 
You have to evaluate and not blame others and not um, blame the circumstance. Pause and evaluate. Is this of the Lord? Is this God preventing me from making the decision? Evaluate and seek God's counsel and make sure you have his peace and you have confirmation. God is so good. God, God will speak to you through his word and even put people in your path to confirm things. So don't make hasty decisions. Uh, be per perceptive because God could uh, put barriers in your path just because he loves you. And, and lastly, we know that God is love. Okay, We see the love of God for his chosen people. God loves us. He has offered thousands of promises and blessings to us as New Testament believers available to us. I already used the scripture, 2 Corinthians 1.20, that all the promises and blessings of God are a resounding yes and amen through Christ Jesus. I am paraphrasing that scripture. So it is up to us to walk by faith to receive those blessings because God will not take them back. Okay? The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. So it's up to you whether or not you obey God. Okay? You um, allow the Holy Spirit to shape and mold you and you allow the blessings of God to chase you or you choose to disobey God and then you suffer. It's not up to God. It's up to you. He has already blessed you. You just have to receive it as you walk in holiness, as you are being strengthened by the Holy Spirit and as you walk in obedience, the blessings of God will chase you. Okay, I hope you receive that in Jesus' name. So, Father God, we just, I thank you. Father God, I thank you for all the listeners today. We have learned a lot here about your sovereign will, about your blessings and your gifts that are irrevocable. We acknowledge all your blessings to us today through Christ. Father, teach us through your Holy Spirit to walk in obedience so that your blessings can chase us, teach us and strengthen us, Holy Spirit, to be obedient to your laws and enable us to overcome sin through the strength of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that. Your Holy Spirit endures us to reveal all truth to us. We thank you for that. And we are believing by faith that today you will strengthen us. You will reveal all truth to us. You will teach us day by day how to walk and receive your blessings because it is your pleasure to bless us. We receive it. We thank you. In Jesus' name, we say, Amen. Today is a day the Lord has made, so rejoice in it as you proceed with the rest of your day. I am Chris Horn. Goodbye.